Tazahal, you are listening to the A Thousand Lives broadcast, the premier podcast for all things related to Christian missions in China. This is Austin, your host and missionary with the Vision for China team. For more information about our Vision for China team and how to take the first step on your path to making Jesus famous in China, head on over to visionforchina.org. That's visionforchina.org. There you're going to find a slew of resources to aid you in both sharing the gospel with Chinese friends as well as to assess how you can better aim your life at making Jesus known in China whether that be by praying, sending, or even going as a missionary. Our episode this go-round is actually a special interview episode with another member of our Vision for China team. But before we jump into the interview, I'm excited to announce that Vision for China will be hosting our third annual Underground Jiaohui Conference in June of this year. That's right, June of 2022. Many of you that have come out to the conference before know what it's all about, but For those that don't, we spend a couple of days together for preaching and Bible teaching on missions, teaching on Chinese missions, and devoted sessions to pray for China. This year's theme is China's Multitudes, Introducing China's Multitudes to Christ's Majesty. It's our prayer that the Lord would raise up from among this generation a great number of gospel preachers who will devote their lives to preach the majesty of Christ to China's multitudes. The dates for this year are June 17th and 18th, just a month and a half away, and we'll be hosting it in Dawsonville, Georgia, which is about an hour drives north of Atlanta. Some of us Vision for China missionaries will be there hosting the conference and heading up the preaching and teaching. It's sure to be a great time, and we certainly hope that you can make it and learn more about how you can get plugged in to Chinese missions. So, what are you waiting for? Head on over to visionforchina.org slash underground for conference details and registration. Again, that's visionforchina.org slash underground for conference details and registration. Well, I'm super excited about this episode today. I'm here with Mark, missionary with the Vision for China team. He and his wife have spent a considerable amount of time in both China and Taiwan, planting churches, preaching the gospel, and it's an honor to have him with me here on the podcast today. So Mark, uh, please say hello, briefly introduce yourself to us. Well, it's good to be here, Austin, and uh, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to be able to just share some of the stories of what God has done uh, in our ministry and life over the years. Uh, we spent about eight years uh, in China, about two years in Taiwan, and I've uh, seen God do many great things. And uh, so just excited to be here and talk with you today. All right. Well, awesome. Well, I guess just to get started, um, why don't you tell us your salvation testimony? How'd you come to know the Lord? How'd He lead you to missions? All those things. Yeah, so I grew up uh, in a Christian family or born into a Christian family. And so my parents took me to uh, church uh, ever since I was little and uh, as far as I can remember. And uh, when I was uh, probably in the third or fourth grade, I remember uh, being in children's church. And uh, during the invitation, uh, the preacher invited people to come up, and I, I felt some conviction. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I knew uh, there was something wrong in my life. And so I went forward at that time, and uh, they, he took me back into a room and uh, started explaining some things to me. And it's kind of funny to think about it now. He asked me a question, and the question he asked me was, Uh, do you know that you're a sinner? And I knew being a sinner was a bad thing. And so uh, I responded and said, like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and uh, okay. that's, that's all I remember really about that. But I remember coming out afterwards and saying I was saved and uh, I must have prayed or something like that. But I don't remember any of that. I ended up getting baptized. 
And, uh, you know, so growing up in church and then having that experience as a teenager, uh, I, I really doubted my salvation. I just, I just couldn't remember, you know, was, was there a moment that I give my life to Christ? What did I say? And I, I, that really just kind of hindered me. And uh, I, I had a kind of a desire to serve God, but I didn't even know if I was saved. And I knew what the gospel was. And uh, I wanted other people to know what the gospel was, uh, but I didn't know if I uh, truly, fully was Christ and if he was mine. And uh, so when I was about 17 years old, uh, I knew I wanted to get this settled and I wanted to know that I wanted to be saved. And uh, I remember I was in my room. I took my Bible, opened it up to Roman roads and read some verses and got on my knees and just said, God, I repent of my sins and I put my whole trust in you. Uh, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And uh, I'm completely uh, putting my faith in you and the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, your son. And uh, please forgive me of my sins. And from since, since then, Amen. when I was 17, uh, I knew I was saved. Uh, I've never doubted my salvation since. And uh, I've seen God producing fruit in my life and working in me and uh, changing me. I definitely haven't been perfect since then. Lots of mistakes, lots of errors, uh, sin and different things. But uh, each of those, uh, he has used me to mold me more into his image. And uh, so just praise God for that. I got baptized. And then uh, how did the Lord lead me into missions? Well, uh, growing up in church, we had a very missions-minded church. Missionaries would uh, come through the church, and uh, they would give their presentation. And I remember one when I was about probably 16 years old, and um, when I was, again, struggling with my, my salvation to know if I was saved or not. I remember a missionary getting up, and I think he was to Australia. And in his presentation, he said something that, that really... Uh, stuck with me. He said, man, if there was just somebody that could go and tell them about Jesus, then they could hear and they could believe. Yeah. And in my heart at the time, I thought, man, if I could, I could do that. You know, I, I could go tell them that Jesus. And now understanding, you know, a missionary to me was somebody that just went to another country, learned a language and told them about Jesus. And I was thinking, well, Australia, they speak English. And I know about Jesus, so I could tell them about Jesus, and uh, so maybe this is something that I could do uh, with my life. And uh, our pastor at the time, he was praying uh, that that there would be missionaries called out of our church. He was saying that from the pulpit. And I remember kind of saying in my heart, you know, that that's me. You know, like I'm I'm the next one. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be uh, doing this. I'm gonna surrender to, to do this. And I didn't understand a missionary had to like preach and uh, you know travel around deputation and plant churches, make disciples. Like I didn't understand any of that. I just understood, you know, there was people around the world that didn't know about Jesus and they needed somebody to tell them about Jesus, and I was willing to do that. And that's where that that uh, started in my life. And once I, you know, I kind of felt called in the missions at that time. But once I confirmed my salvation when I was seventeen, uh, you know, I knew immediately after, man, that that is what God wanted me to do. He wanted me to be a missionary. And, uh, you know, and that, so I confirmed that again. And then when I was about 19 years old, uh, I surrendered to be a missionary to China. And uh, that's, a, that's another story, but uh, I, I felt God was leading me there. So that's kind of my salvation testimony and how God led me into missions. Okay. Yeah. Well, great. Um, and so what, what does that look like? I mean, obviously you, you have planted churches now. And so what did it look like uh, even just from... The Lord putting that on your heart, um, and then that path from there all the way to, uh, I guess, uh, finding a mission board, starting to raise support, all of those things. Like, what did that process look like for you? 
So if we kind of fast forward to where I graduate from high school and uh, uh, I grew up in a very good youth group and I uh, had a, a youth pastor that really uh, worked with me and be able to you know kind of keep me in church and keep that love for God uh, alive in my life and uh, so uh, when I when I went out um, you know graduating high school my path going forward was I want to get to the mission field and uh, you know it, it was a bumpy path but I knew man I, this is what I wanted to do with my life right and when any anything that came in and was kind of making that path go a different direction or hey maybe I might not end up get to do this you know it was kind of you know let's get back to what God called me to do and uh, so that I needed training at first and so uh, I ended up going to a certain Bible college and not it wasn't what I thought it was going to be so I only spent about a semester there things like that went to an institute and things like that uh, and eventually I went and worked with a missionary uh, in Peru South America and uh, you know that's nowhere close to China <laughs> and uh, yeah, a little and, uh, far away yeah a little far away uh, but I knew I wanted to go to China at that time so I guess it was, I was around 19 and uh, the reason I went there is because that missionary was willing to mentor and spend time with other young missionary students. And uh, that was something that I realized that I needed. It wasn't just the academics, uh, but I needed somebody that was going to mentor me, pour the, themselves into my life, and help me uh, you know, form uh, character things. And um, not, not just learn book knowledge, but that would actually help me become more godly and holy and, and, and can look at my life and say the hard things that need to be said and just be discipled like Jesus discipled his, uh, his disciples. And there's an open door for that. And so I moved down to Peru, uh, spent that for six months. And I spent there for six months. And, uh, and really that was the first time I experienced that kind of level of, of discipleship. And it really was kind of life-changing for me and something I wanted to continue. And so after those six months, I didn't know what I was gonna do. But come to find out that that missionary, when he was uh, at the end of my time there, he was actually coming back to the States to start a church and also a missionary training school. And I thought, man, this is a great opportunity for me because I want to be a church planner one day. And I want to be a missionary. And he's starting a missionary training school and he's going to plant a church. And so I get on the ground floor of that. And sure. so when he moved back, uh, I moved down. Uh, I, I flew in and uh, was, uh, immediately when I got back to the States, I got my stuff and moved down to Georgia. I was there for the first service of the church plant. I uh, was one of the first students at the training center and uh, finished my training there. I already had credits from other uh, Bible colleges that I attended, was able to transfer those over, uh, finished my training, and then uh, stayed and kind of worked on, uh, I, I call it unpaid church staff for two years, because uh, I would okay. work at the church during the day and deliver pizzas at night. And um, I delivered pizzas, Chinese food, and newspapers. So anything that could be delivered uh, nice. to help, <laughs> help us uh, make money and get by. Uh, while I was learning from the ministry, uh, I kind of did uh, that. You were Uber before there were Uber Eats before there was yes, Uber Eats. Yes, I was right? Uber Eats before there was Uber Eats. And so uh, I would deliver uh, Chinese food usually at lunch and then pizzas at night and then uh, newspapers at, like at midnight. And that wasn't fun. Don't ever deliver newspapers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that was kind of, I guess, my path of training. Uh, and really it was I needed to be discipled and we kind of call it the B level uh, on your character and who you are in Christ and growing just in the basics in your Bible reading in your prayer and your in your knowledge of God and your and all those kind of things uh, and then you also want the missionary training and learning how to be a missionary how to learn a language uh, what is culture shock and all these different things uh, that come up you want to learn about those 
and then how to raise support and what does a missionary when they go to the field how do they raise support and all those kind of things and so uh, we learned all of those uh, during our time of training and uh, and that was invaluable to me and uh, I remember when I finally got to the mission field a lot of the things that I was taught just came to life all of the, those yeah. things started uh, happening and the things that I was trained in uh, were actually very very useful okay well one quick question for you so you just mentioned that uh, even before you went down to Peru South America you already had China on your mind and on your heart what was it specifically about China well just if you could kind of briefly describe how you landed on China okay you know this is one of the things that's a little more uh, interesting in the sense that it's hard to explain Uh, we were at a, a, a friend's wedding at the time and uh, his, after his wedding, he got married near uh, New Year's, New Year's Eve, I think on New Year's Eve. After the wedding, we were, there's a group of us, and uh, we were staying uh, at a church. Uh, and I think it might have been the church where the wedding was, but they were allowed to stay up because we had to travel kind of far to get there. And uh, we were kind of just praying the New Year's in. And I had been uh, praying uh, already about maybe where, where would God have me. And honestly, my personality, I was really thinking about a Muslim country, uh, somewhere in the okay. Middle East. That's kind of where I was focused on. I kind of was set, man, I wanted to go where nobody else had been before. Okay. And with China, even though there was a great need, there was a lot of missionaries that's been to China. Just you read, sure. you read Missions History, who do you read about? Hudson Taylor and all these missionaries right. uh, in China. And so I was really praying about, I mean, I want to go somewhere nobody's ever heard of before where there's, you know, you know and where there's no missionary. And, you know, that's kind of like the, the Islamic world, right? So that was kind of my focus at the time. And, uh, but I was, you know, I was just praying about it. And uh, I remember one of my good friends uh, today, I didn't really know him at the time, um, Jeff, uh, he was preaching and I was at a conference and uh, he was actually preaching about his field in Latin America. And uh, when he was preaching about it, I realized that, you know, I wasn't really willing to go there. You know, I had already in my mind kind of had countries like that and Latin America already crossed off because, you know, I was trying to pick the field about where I wanted to go. And he really used his message to convict me and say, you know, it's God who's calling you, God who's sending you. It's God who's also going to show you where you're going to go. And that really caused me to say... All right, I want to, okay, God, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Like, you called me to be a missionary in the first place, so if you want me to go to Latin America, you want me to go somewhere in America or Asia or wherever it may be, I'm willing to go. And it was just kind of like that opening up. I didn't have to, I didn't narrow it down just to these areas that I was kind of choosing. And uh, and getting back to that night, we were praying on New Year's Eve after that wedding. Uh, I was there praying, and and uh, just felt that God had laid China out of my heart really out of nowhere. And you know, okay. sometimes you have those, those where God still small voice or whatever it may be, how do you explain it? And that's kind of the, the weird part, but just like he told me, you know, China's the place. And, um, and I was like, man, is, that, is this how it works? I don't know, I don't get it. You know, it's not, it's not the same for everybody. Um, right. And, but I remember getting up and telling one of my other friends, uh, Hey, I just surrendered to go to China, you know? And I think that's what, and he's like, really? Like, what? And he's like, is that, how do you know that's what God wants you to do? I'm like, I don't know how I know, but I just, that's why I feel that God's, you know, laid on my heart for me to do. You yeah. know, it wasn't, you know, even on my radar. And I said, this is where I'm surrendering to go. And I said, hey, I may, I may be wrong, but 
I'm, I'm setting my path to go in that direction and, uh, you know, just expecting that's that was what God wanted me to do, uh, that he would bless it. And if I was just wrong, then he would block it and redirect me somewhere else. And uh, so he started blessing our path uh, in that in that direction. Great. Amen. Um, well, OK, so now I guess kind of fast forwarding back up to um, you. You have ministry training. You um you have a mission board. You're launching out to have a, a season of support raising before you leave for the field. And I've heard you uh, speak a bit about this before, about how as you were raising your support, you're calling churches, you're talking to pastors, you're letting them know uh, what it is that uh, the Lord's led you to do in China. And that there was some, I don't know if you'd call it pushback or just some questions there, uh, because China is a bit of a unique mission field in a few different ways. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so when we started Deputation, obviously excited, young guy, newly married. Uh, you know, we had a six-month-old uh, six uh, when, we, when we started uh, Deputation and going out, man, and just really excited to share the ministry we felt God really had called us to. And uh, when we started traveling, you have people that were man, really excited. Man, I've never heard of a missionary in China before. This is great. We're glad that somebody's going there. Uh, but then you also kind of got the attitude of, are you sure you can be a missionary there? Are you sure you can go there? They're a closed country, you know, and at the time, you know, there wasn't really a reason that we saw that we had to be, uh, you know, not use our name on the internet and things like that. And again, you know, the internet was just coming and social media and all these kind of things when, when this is all happening. Right. And, uh, you know, people are using it more and there's different, uh, you know, can you Google your name and all these kind of things. And so we just didn't, we, we never talked to anybody where that was a problem. Okay. And, um, and and see where that was a problem. And so uh, we were just kind of just open uh, about what we were going to do in China. And uh, we know it was a closed country or creative access country, whichever way you want to look at it. And uh, some of those attitudes from pastors uh, were very negative uh, in the sense that some would say, hey, we're not going to have you in because we don't think you're going to make it. Um, some of those would say, hey, you know, uh, and I think I wrote this in, in uh, uh so some different blog posts, the experiences that we've had. Um, but some would say, you know, you're going to get arrested as soon as you get to the border. You know, like because your name was mentioned on the Internet or something like that, we're going to, uh, as soon as you arrive, they're going to arrest you on the border. Um, because of your it, some, some of your information being online. Yeah, some of the information being okay. online. And just, you know, it was it was a mindset of fear that really had gotten into a, a lot of these pastors and it was well can you you know is there anything to back that up is there any stories that you've 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 heard of and you know fast forward today we, you know we, we we do know a missionary where you know because of what's happening in Hong Kong and things like that there is some concern with the internet so we stopped using right. our full name on the internet and things like that uh, but at the at the time uh, you know just just being normal or just you know saying China from the pulpit or having a prayer card um, you know, we I would have right. uh, people in churches in America. You go to the church, right? Nothing's being streamed online or anything like that. And uh, you know, somebody would come and they would have to, like whisper to me because they think that you know things were happening, or they couldn't write me an email without speaking in code and things like that. And it was just things that didn't really make a lot of kind of logical sense. Uh, you know, uh, I don't subscribe to the mindset that China's listening to every single, you know, every space that I am, that they're, right. you know, kind of omnipresent, they're everywhere and they're listening and they know everything. And so, 
and you can't have that mindset because it just it it'll, it'll make you crazy. And so, sure. um, so there was a lot of that attitude that was just like, well, you're just too open, you're too bold, you're too outgoing, and uh, you know that that did close the doors, and um, on on several churches. Uh, but I was thankful to have a pastor at the time that encouraged me to keep being bold, yeah. uh, and because I think if I allowed the mindset of of those of the minority really to affect me and let that fear set in then when i would have got to china i would have been more fearful because right. if you're that fearful inside of america uh you know how much more fearful would you be living in the on the field yeah uh, when you actually sense. got to china and so you know if they're if they if they're listening to what we're doing here you know in our little local church in america then when i'm, I'm going to china and planning a church how much more would they be listening there and maybe that's if you really believe that then that's probably why some of these pastors thought well there's no way you can do this sure you know and so you know to them it was a contradiction to be a church planning missionary to china um and so again it was one of those things i didn't know how it was all going to work out but i really felt that's what god called me to do and so that was the direction that i was headed yeah okay um so what is the kind of just a basic overview, a basic timeline of your ministry in China and then more recently in Taiwan. Say that again? Uh, kind of just like an overview, a timeline. Um, so uh, okay. you, you mentioned, I think, being in China for was it eight years, Taiwan for about two years. So kind of just a big bird's eye view of that. What would, what would that look like? Yeah, so we, we uh, went to China and uh, we spent the first two years up in uh, Harbin, China. Uh, okay. and that's kind of near the Russian border and uh, very cold up there and uh, so we, we did language school there uh, worked under another missionary and uh, spent the time really uh, learning the language uh, seeing how he did ministry in the, in the Chinese context and learned a lot from that and then uh, after we finished uh, language school we took a, a short furlough it was, it was three to six months I forget exactly how long that was uh, probably three months uh, and then we went back, we moved to a city uh, uh, called Dalian, which is in the uh, northeast part of China. And uh, so we were there. And Dalian is a city of 6 million people. Uh, Harbin was okay. a city of 10 million people. And wow. so these are mega cities. Yeah. Uh, millions of souls uh, for whom Christ died that need to hear the gospel. And uh, we were there. And uh, that's where we started our personal ministry. And uh, so we were there and uh, went out and, and started the church plant there. And uh, that's where God eventually gave us a men to train. And then they were able to start some other churches. Uh, and then uh, after uh, eight years, we left China, on, went home for a furlough. And uh, we were on furlough for uh, a little longer than a year, I think, and then went back to China. And uh, when we went back, uh, we weren't able to stay uh, we ended up having to leave because of the things that were happening and then moved to Taiwan directly from there and uh, been in Taiwan for roughly two years and uh, started a church plant there. Well, praise the Lord. Um, and so you're, you're starting a church in a place like China. What does that look like? Uh, you mentioned men to train. Uh, maybe you could elaborate on that. What would, what would you say would be the focus of planning a church as far as evangelism or trying to host some sort of event? 
how do how do events work at churches in a place like China? Um, did you do a lot of discipleship? If you could just kind of talk through some of those things. Yeah, so you know, training men. We'll start there. Was a focus of of my training uh, when I was in Bible college and being trained in the local church, and it really worked to our benefit. One, we see it in the Bible, Second uh, Timothy two two. So you see it there. Uh, you see it's what Jesus did with his disciples. Uh, but in the in the Chinese context, it's important because uh, most likely uh, you're going to leave China one day if you're a missionary there. Uh, you know, because of persecution, and if you are boldly preaching the gospel and making disciples and planting churches, uh, it's not something the government wants. And so, really, it's a question uh, not if they find you, but really when. And uh, and so, if you're not there, the best thing that you can do is leave men behind uh, that you've trained uh, Chinese, you know, local men, uh, so that they can continue church planting. And uh, that's what the Lord allowed us to do. And so give you a little bit more about uh, kind of the history of the, the ministry in China. We went there and uh, the first uh, church plant that we had, we, we tried to go out and meet people. I mean, I was really discouraged and I was trying to uh, go out and invite people to just come to our house. We didn't know where to start the, the church plant. Nobody was really coming. And I remember being discouraged and I, I uh, just was at home praying one day, man, God, God, just give me somebody to study the Bible with today. And uh, okay. I remember after I got done praying that, hey, the first one that just going to show up in my living room, that I had to go out <laughs> and, you know, find that person. But expecting by faith that God would answer uh, that prayer request. And so I went out walking around with my Bible in my hand. And um, the reason I, I walked around with the Bible is because I remember uh, I bought some Bibles when I was up in language school. And a, a Christian had saw it. I was walking down the street with these Bibles. And they came and said, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, do you have a, a, a church in your house? And I was like, no, but I go to one. And I tried to explain it, invited that person to come. And so I said, well, maybe the same thing will happen. If I walk around the Bible, somebody will come by and ask me, is that a okay. Bible? And uh, so it was just an idea. So I walked around for about an hour at a university, and uh, nobody came and talked to me. And uh, so I was just discouraged. I'm, I'm going to go back home. And uh, I go to get in a taxi, and on my way to go get in a taxi, uh, there's a group of three young guys uh, standing over to the side, and one of them turned around and looked at me, and I looked at him. We kind of made eye contact, and I was like, okay, God, I'm going to go talk to that person. And, uh, and I get close enough, and I uh, walk to him, and he looks down, and he goes, is that a Bible you're carrying? And I said, yes, it is. I said, are you a Christian? And he goes, yes, I am. And I said, well, where do you go to church? And uh, he said, well, I don't, he says, I moved here for university, but I haven't been able to find a church to attend. And I said, well, would you like to come to my house and study the Bible? And he said, absolutely. And so God had answered the prayer that day wow. and uh, led me to somebody that was interested in studying the Bible. So he came to our house, and we started studying the Bible together. And, well, you know, I'm fresh out of language school, so my, my language is still rough. Okay. Um, but they come to find out that that young man, he had enough of the gospel to be saved, but he had never really been discipled and baptized. And uh, so started working with him, uh, ended up taking him out to the ocean. He got baptized, his friends he invited to come see and was inviting them to my house to the Bible study. And uh, eventually his friends, they didn't really want to come to my house anymore because it was too far. And so I said, man, what, okay. what if we rent a building close to your location um, to the university and their dorms? Would they, you think, would they keep coming? And he said, yeah, I think they would. And so we ended up renting an apartment near their university uh, so that they could walk. Uh, they no longer had to take a bus to my house. And they could just walk to the, the church plant. 
And uh, they started coming and started learning more about the gospel. And we started uh, going on university campus and giving out tracts and church invitations and events and anything we could do. And eventually, you know, because I made friends with these guys, I get invited to the dorms. And you go into the dorms and meet, you know, different Chinese young men. And okay. uh, that was a big open door for us. Yeah, kind of networking. Yeah, kind of networking and, and using those networks and those those friendships. And in, in China, one of the things that we found out is there's there's a lot of people, there's not a there's not much of a base of understanding the gospel because a lot of times they never heard it, sadly. And because many of them haven't heard it, it takes a while to understand. And we saw people, they would come to church and they would come for one, two, three, four months or longer just coming because they, they need to understand this. I haven't heard this, so I'm going to come. And you kind of see this process of you know three or four months go by and then they would rather make a decision to believe or they would just reject it and say, okay, this isn't for me. And that group of uh, young men that were coming uh, because of this friend they were learning, but I remember it, it and it was really sad because eventually they came to the point where they came and just said, Mark, you know, we're not going to come to the church anymore. We under we understand what you're trying to teach us and tell us, but we just don't believe it and we're not going to come anymore. I mean, that, huh. that was a hard day, you know, because I'm, huh. you know, got this group of young men that you think, man, God, you're going to get saved and become preachers. You know, that's kind of your, your goal. And they just ended up yeah. kind of rejecting the gospel. Hmm. And uh, we were having services on different days and uh, I remember like Sunday night and I think Thursday night we would have better attendance than we would on Sunday morning. And uh, so kind of after they kind of rejected the gospel, um, we, we decided, well, let's uh, – nobody's really coming on Sunday mornings besides one or two. So what if we canceled the Sunday morning service? And I know this is kind of you know strange to do when you're in the midst of a church plant, but I said let's cancel Sunday morning service because nobody's coming anyway, and let's go to a different part of the gospel. And you kind of see that in Acts. If Paul's going and preaching the gospel, if somebody rejects it, it's just kind of like, you know, okay. A different part of the gospel oh, or so. a different part of, like, the area? <laughs> yeah, I think I said that wrong. So if they reject uh, the gospel, then let's go to a different part of the city or go to okay. a different city. Different That's what I meant to say, not different okay. gospel. One gospel. Okay. And, uh, yes, good for, good for clarification <laughs> there. Um, and so if, if people were rejecting the gospel or they didn't want it, or they didn't want to believe, or they persecuted them, they didn't stay and just keep enduring that. A lot of times they just, they, you know, they, they shake the dust off their feet and they go to the next place. Right. And uh, so I kind of felt that was what was kind of happening for us. And so there was another part of the city that I was already burdened about that I was hoping that we could eventually do something there. And so uh, there was an English corner uh, at a different university, and this was probably 25 minutes from the location that we were at. And I went to that university and started uh, in meeting people. And uh, I was very open about kind of what I did. In China, you don't often tell people you're a missionary because their understanding what a missionary is is very tainted. And so uh, it's not somebody who preaches the gospel. You know, it's more like you're, you know, a political tool of the U.S. government and kind of things like that. Right. And they so, see it more as like being a spy. Yeah, more like being a spy. And so I would often tell them, I would say, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And they say, well, and I'm talking to them in English because they want to practice their English. And, you know, you can imagine people always ask me, what, you know, what is an English corner? I'm going, I'm going around, I'm telling some of these stories in churches here in the States. And they say, well, what's an English corner? An English corner is just usually some a, a place. It could be oftentimes outside uh, where people come and they congregate Chinese people and they practice speaking English to each other. 
And so it could be college students, it could be businessmen, or anybody that just wants to practice English. And so somebody like myself shows up, native speaker, you know, you're kind of a superstar because your English is awesome. <laughs> and so it just works out really well. And uh, they always want to come ask you questions. So, you know, you, if you've been in China, you always get the same basic questions. You know, why are you in China? You know, what are you doing? Are you married to a Chinese lady? Are you, <laughs> you know, you make lots of money, you know, right. or, you know, kind of the basic questions. Uh, you know, is China or better, uh, America better? You know, you always ask these kind of right. like comparing right. questions. And uh, so that always opened the door because I would say I'm a pastor and they don't know what a pastor is. And so, uh, and if you, even if you say it in Chinese, they'll say, oh, you mean a priest, you know, and things like that. And then uh, they'll say, well, it's kind of like a Bible teacher. And then often they would say, well, then teach us something, like teach us something from the Bible then, you know, like, okay, great, you know. <laughs> challenge like, accepted. Yeah, challenge accepted. Well, I mean, you know, there's a guy named Jesus and, you know, you start there and you know, it was a way to Amen. share the gospel. And uh, I said, so I was, I was doing that and I, I did that for about six weeks and I told them, I said, I'm going to start a Bible yeah. study if you're interested, because I have Sunday mornings open now. And uh, if you're interested, um, um, give me your phone number and I'll text you when we're going to come. And, uh, you know, and a lot of people, because of the, the fear thing, they, they wouldn't even take these steps. They wouldn't even go and they, they'd share the gospel with people sometimes at English Corners because the, the fear mindset says, well, one of these people might be a spy. One of these people might be part of the Communist Party or work for the right. government. And that is a chance that you take. And uh, some of those people were. And uh, we've, we've seen people who were in the Communist Party get saved uh, in, in our ministry. Uh, but that's just the Amen. chance we take. And that's, that's the part, uh, I call it a wise forwardness. You know, I'm not going to be on the sidewalk with a blowhorn preaching in China, but also I'm not going right. to keep myself from telling people about Jesus. Um, so I'm going to always uh, tend to go forward, but with a, with a wiseness. And so okay. uh, wisdom yeah, never tells us to not talk about Jesus, right? We are always going to be talking about him. And so um, so going forward with that wise forwardness, talking to people, did this for about six weeks, sent a text to everybody, uh, phone numbers that I had, and uh, we ended up renting a small location that could seat maybe 20 people uh, in a little pizza shop. Uh, okay. And pizza shop didn't open till lunch. And so they were in there preparing before lunch, so I rented for about an hour. It was like $15, and uh, we had, I think, about 11 people show up. And uh, I, you know, I reported all this in my prayer, prayer letter, so I could go back and find the exact number. I think it was like 11, and, uh, and they were all unbelievers except for one. And most of them were okay. men. I think we had one girl show up besides my wife, and that, that wasn't counting us. And, uh, and the only one person was a Christian in there. And uh, so okay. they were coming and learning. We didn't. We didn't have music. We didn't have anything else. We just was going through the Gospel of John. We just read it, try to explain it to them, and uh, invite them to come back the next week. And they would. And okay. uh, each Saturday, I could go to this this uh, English corner, meet new people, invite them to come on Sunday morning, and that was kind of what we had going on. And we had this other church plant on the other side of town uh, that was going on Sunday night and on Thursdays. Okay. And uh, so we we started seeing some movement. But again, you kind of there's this. You give it three or four months, and you don't see anybody getting saved right away. Right. Uh, but what's going to happen in three or four months? Are these people going to walk away like they did before? Are they going to get saved? And the the one young man that was coming that was a Christian, 
I met with him and just, you know, man, I'd love to start a church plant and hopefully people get saved. And he just caught the vision and said, yeah, I, I want to help with this. And, and you know, he, he was on board with it. And again, he was a college student that moved into the city and because uh, we were walk, working with college students at the time. And uh, several months go by and we started seeing people from that group get saved. Uh, and yeah. we started baptizing them and, and seeing that Bible study grow. So eventually we moved uh, into a restaurant that had... Uh, you know banquet rooms, and so we had rented those two okay. banquet rooms. And sometimes we would do meals, we do the buy, we would do a whole service at this point. And so we were doing music, and we, you know, the young men were discipling. They would lead music. Uh, you know, they would play guitar. Uh, there were specials that we had. We'd have special Easter service, and you know, we're doing it all around like you know the dining room tables. <laughs> and wow, then... <laughs> nothing more Baptist than a, uh, right. a banquet in church. And so we didn't do a meal every service, but a lot of times we, we would just because it would help with renting the place. If not, we just, you know, build rent. We take up offering. And uh, so we, we had this church plant uh, that was growing, and I noticed myself spending more time here. But we still had some believers and things on the other side of town uh, yeah. that were still there. Even though there was a good chunk of the people we were working with that rejected the gospel, we still saw fruit. We, there were still people saved and baptized there. And so we felt the Lord was leading us to take both of these church plants and they both had separate names at the time and one was uh, called gospel and one was grace and we ended up putting them together merging a grace merged with with gospel uh, baptist church and uh, we ended up renting a, a first floor apartment and we were going to okay. kind of between the locations and and we we're going to start having services together and uh, we were uh, only in that building probably for about a month before we had problems um, from neighbors and they called the police oh, and, wow. uh, so we had to make some quick decisions we, they didn't come raid any of our services at that time uh, but they did show up during the day and one of the guys we were discipling was there and answered the door they ended up finding out it was a church and so we sent one of the other young men that was helping us with the church down to the police station to explain like make sure that, that we're, we're not a cult okay. and, so uh, this is the police showing up to the location on a day where there was not a service. Right, right. Okay. They, and they were responding to complaints from neighbors. And so okay. the neighbors didn't know what was going on. They were just, they were mad that we were too noisy. And, okay. Uh, I, I guess, that, you know, that's that's right. what we can piece together from like what Like disturbing happened. the peace. Right, disturbing the peace, too loud. Um, you know, the Baptists are too rowdy. So, uh, and, yeah. you know, ended up showing up. So anyways... And that, that was the, our first run-in with the police, um, but that was for merging this. And then, so we had to make a decision, you know, what do we do? Um, because I think up to this point, we've, we've had the police on our tail for other things. We've had people uh, passing out tracks that got in trouble and, and, and things like that. And after our first, you know, kind of going back to our language school, we were in a police raid where the police actually came in during a church service. We can, you may tell that story later, but... Um, okay, and, yeah. And we, you know, we, we were kind of moving things around, and the, the, the police had, had come. Uh, uh, at this point, they had come to our other uh, location. Uh, I think there was a time in there where we had, we had to take a small furlough. We were having uh, problems with our visa, and uh, my wife was expecting at the time, and so we, we ended up having to come back to the States for a short time. And uh, uh, because of the passing of the track that got to a police officer that led, led to a police raid uh, on the first church plant, and they had oh, new, wow. new buildings and things like that, and, uh, and then when the police showed up with this. And so it was just kind of like 
God was blessing. I'm kind of telling you the, the stories about how we kind of moved, but in the background, you had these persecutions kind of happening and the police yeah. showing up. And that's just kind of part of the normal life and, the, you know, doing ministry there. But it kind of got to the point like, okay, God, what do we do next? And uh, we yeah. seemed to keep getting in trouble with these apartments and things. And we said, you know, we've always kind of been advised not to do you know, an office space. And so I, I finally got to the point, man, what if we rethink that? Okay. Uh, and office space is a lot more expensive. It could be, you know, two or three times more than what you're renting an apartment right. for. Um, but I said, well, let's rethink that. And so we started looking uh, at different places that we could rent because we know, like, well, we can no longer use this place anymore because the police know about it. And yeah. the police said, you know, at the time, uh, you know, when one of the guys went down to the police station, told him what was going on, he even said, you know, okay, our pastor's foreigner, you know, shouldn't be a problem, right? And they said, oh, yeah, no problem, right? So, and uh, obviously we don't believe that, but we did continue on. And while we're looking for new places, uh, I lived right across from an office complex, and it was about a 30-story building. Okay. And uh, they had a, spa- a couple spaces available. We went in and looked at one on the 25th floor, and uh, I was like, man, this is the space. And so I called the guys up so excited that we were working discipling and said, let's, let's pray about renting this place. And uh, we thought, well, before we rent it, let's just go ask the neighbors, since we were having problems with the neighbors, like, we're going to rent this space and put a church in here. And on Sunday morning, we're going to have kids, we're going to have music, and we're just going to be really loud. And just, if that bothers you, let us know we won't rent it. You know, like, let's just go ahead and tell okay. the neighbors. And it was it was two reasons. One, to see if they would be annoyed by loud noises. But two, to see if any of our neighbors were anti-Christian. Oh, um, yeah. Because yeah. basically, in China, your average Chinese person doesn't know what we consider as Christianity to be illegal. Because they're going to say they have religious freedom. They see churches. That are, that are in their country, that are open, and right. they're government churches, and they're controlled churches. And, um, and so what we wouldn't say is, man, this is a true church, you know, because they're controlled by an atheistic head, uh, and Jesus yeah. isn't the head. Uh, but they would see, because they don't go to church, the average Chinese person, that, man, so there is Christianity allowed. So they yeah. wouldn't see us starting a church as being illegal. Yeah. So, like, in their ignorance, it's just like, church is legal. Right. It's not a big deal. This is just a normal thing, yeah, sure. But if you're in the Communist Party or you are very anti-Christian, you would know that these things are illegal. Okay. And uh, and so we wanted to see if there was anybody living around because if we just put all this money down to rent this space and all of a sudden the guy next to you is very anti-Christian, then you know we're, we're in trouble right away. Yeah. And uh, so the people that were there, and obviously your neighbors change because it's an office building. And, uh, but the people that are there, we knocked on the doors and everybody, most of the people uh, I remember responding just saying, you know, we're not, we don't work on Sunday or our business is closed on Sunday, so you won't bother us. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and one of our walls was windows. It was kind of so you're looking outside and so there's nobody on that side. So that really kind of worked out for us. And uh, so we okay. felt the Lord was leading us to rent the space. We moved in there on the 25th floor, uh, which is really funny because... Everybody refers to uh, planting churches in China as underground church planting. And uh, we were on the 25th floor of a 30-story skyscraper. And uh, so it wasn't really uh, underground, uh, you know, but the term just means it's illegal. But, uh, but, you know, the irony there. I like that. And uh, and so we moved down. We really started seeing God bless. And we started seeing the church grow and mature. And, uh, you know, this is about... You know, we're going in, the, the church is there, and eventually we're 
kind of nearing the four-year mark. Um, and I don't know exactly how long we were in that space before that four-year mark. I have to go back and look. Uh, but it was right around that four-year mark that God started giving us men that said, you know, I'm, I'm called to be in the ministry. This is what God wants me to do. I'm surrendering their lives. And we had several young men that I was discipling, uh, and they were growing, and they were helping the church, and they were edifying the church, and, and they were personally growing, but they didn't necessarily have that call to say, you know, I'm, I want to be in the ministry. Uh, I'm going to be a pastor. And some of them struggled with it and ended up not, not going into it. Um, and they're still serving God today, and they're helping the churches where they're at. But God started giving us some of those young men. And so instead of taking a furlough at that time, we stayed for an extra couple of years training those young men that God did give us so that we could turn the church over to them when we took our furlough. And, uh, and so that's what we did. And, and, man, it was a blessing to be up there, uh, again, on, the, on that 25th floor and just kind of see – uh, what God did there, and uh, hmm. so that's kind of a uh, kind of a quick history of how the church plants and how that those things kind of developed um, over time. And um, I think there was some other, there's another question in there. Is that something about events, right? So yeah, uh, so yeah. Like how do how do events work? Like, or, or are there events at, at church? So like you know, oftentimes maybe in a more what we would call an open country. Uh, it'd be common to do like, I don't know, bring a friend day. And when you do that, you might blast social media. You might make flyers that you're passing out everywhere. You're probably going to put a huge sign out in front of your church, all of that stuff. Um, I would imagine that at least some of the things that I just said probably wouldn't be. Like even you said earlier, you're not going to get out with a bullhorn and just start preaching. Uh, so like what, where would the line be as far as... Um, how open to be you kind of talked about that that kind of forward wisdom how, how does that work with even like just inviting people to church and, and maybe different events and things like that for, for us because there was there's so many things that were told from deputation on uh, about china that you know it was a lot scarier being outside of china than inside china <laughs> so so when we got there okay. one of the things that that I grew in the mission we worked with and kind of the things that we learned to do and that I adopted for myself too was not just assume that the line of things that you can't do if a mission if somebody else said it was drawn here to assume that that line was that was actually the line but that I was going to find that line myself and so we would we would push that line, okay, can we do invitations with our church address on it, yes or no? Can we do invitations with maybe a WeChat uh, contact on it, you know, a QR code? Right. Can we do it with a phone number? Would that, how, what would get us in trouble? And so through trial and error, you know, we, we, we figured it out. We figured some things out over time. And some people did get in trouble because of some of the things that, that, that we did. And there was different lines. But w- that we were able to accomplish things to a certain point. Um, and so we've kind of accumulated this wisdom and uh, eventually got to the point where you know we weren't going to give out invitations with the church address on it and just say you know here's what's going on but we would put WeChat information or we'd use a church logo and so uh, people that knew our church logo knew that this event was at our church and so you could send something on WeChat and invite people say man there's we're having this special Christmas service 
and they can see the logo. And we wouldn't need to say the address or the phone numbers or any contact information. They would just know that it's connected to our church because maybe okay. they've been before. They've right? been or they know someone yes. that's been. So they could build this or say, okay, hey, you, yeah. know, you know where this is at? Sense. Or, you know, people would, would, you know, they could ask for a response, you know, ask for the address. And we could do some follow-up questions like, oh, where would you hear about this from? And, you know, see if there was anything kind of fishy there. And a lot of times you could... You know, if you were really concerned, you could say, oh, just meet us down at the KFC in front of this building. And then that way, you, you know, you didn't direct the person directly to the church. Uh, and then you could right. have somebody down there meet them, see if there's anything fishy, nothing fishy. You just, you know, you go on up. Okay. Uh, but we tried yeah. to be generally be open with that. We didn't have as, as much problem with that. Uh, but we did do a lot of events because you couldn't just, I'm going to pass out 40,000 flyers or pass out 10,000 flyers four times to to get people interested and then have a big day and have people come. Um, so we would do events and we would um, use you know American holidays uh, to host different events and do different fun things uh, So because they would be interested. We could promote this as you know kind of a cultural thing or as an American right. thing. Yeah. And then uh, you know we would make friends with them. Uh, we used on uh, Friday nights, we called it men's, men's night. And we'd have uh, you, different men that could get off work and we'd usually go from like five to 10. And so basically, hey, from, from 5 to 10, uh, we're going to be uh, at, the, at the church location. You get off work at 5, 6, 7, 8, whatever it is. You have different schedules. You can come in. College students obviously get there a little bit early. And uh, we just kind of you know play different games and do different things. And then we'd usually go out to eat together. We all go have some like lamb soup or you know uh, different oh, things man. like that. And, that sounds uh, that, great. That was lamb my favorite soup. thing to eat. And, uh, or we go get barbecue and stuff, and it was a, it was hey, a really good thing because there would be a group of you know, 10, 15, 20 of us, and uh, there would always be somebody new there, and uh, we'd just be going and walking to the restaurant. You're meeting people that you don't know. You're trying to witness to them throughout the night because, again, we're just, we're just spending time together, enjoying time together. And uh, we'd sit down at the table to eat, and uh, I'd say, hey, why don't you pray? One of the guys are discipling. And then while he's praying, this other guy like looks confused because he's never prayed before in his life. Yeah. So the guy sitting next to him would say, explain to him why we pray. You know, So it's kind of like this discipleship okay. evangelism time. Yeah. And eventually it got to the point right. where most of those guys that were coming really got saved. Uh, and they were, you know, so yeah. it's kind of like all discipleship. Uh, and then you know people that rather didn't want to get saved stopped coming, and uh, okay, so it's just yeah. kind of discipling them. And then we, you know, after we go eat, they come back and they do like a five minute devotional or things like that. It just it just worked out really good. And so we had to use a lot of events and try to be creative. Uh, we would do on around Chinese New Year, we would do uh, you know dumpling Sunday, and uh, basically come to church after church. We're all gonna wrap dumplings, make dumplings. Nice. Uh, right? So yeah, we're, we're going to do that, and then we're going to boil them and eat together. And uh, and that was that was always a big day that people would, would come. We did, you know, like mooncake Sunday. Everybody bring in different mooncakes that they liked. And, uh, you know, great. we even would make our own special ones with, like, Snickers and stuff in them. Those were really good. <laughs> um, I wanted, wanted a missionary friend that would do that. He would he found a bakery, and he would, you know, ask the guy to put in his own fillings in them. So that was always interesting. Nice. Um, and just things like that that would get people interested. And uh, we would, you know, ha- go out and do, I think we did, like, a hike thing one time. And just different events. Uh, okay. and get people to go and uh, we did a marriage retreat get away uh, you know the couples could come to and so it was a, it was a lot of event focus because that allowed us to meet people and invite people 
wasn't on a, a, a grand scale, but it, it allowed a continued flow of visitors. Okay. Okay, I got you. Huh. Yeah, that's really neat. Okay, so um, a while back, you had a furlough that was about a year long. Um, so you're back here in the States. What, what was your plan going into that as far as for the church? I mean, um, you know, oftentimes you hear about missionaries who uh, they don't really want to take a furlough because they feel like they have to find some other missionary to come take their place or what have you. Um, so how, how were you kind of preparing for that? How did the church fare over the course of that year? And then um, what did things look like when you went back? Yeah, so it ended up being our, uh, I guess you would say, year-long furlough. or That was the plan. I think we stayed a little bit longer than a year. But the, the goal with that is, is one, to you know, come back. We can report to supporters. Our family can take a break, get a rest. We can raise more support if we need to. Um, we get reconnected to our local church here in the States, but also it allows the ministry uh, that, that the Lord allowed us to start to mature and to stand on their own as much as they can and to really kind of kind of test them. Hey, you guys are in charge now. We, you know, I've been here, been helping you know, on a financial level and on a you know, physical level, like being physically present, preaching, uh, helping you grow spiritually. You've been training. And so it's kind of like taking the training wheels off and allowing them to go forward without you. Okay, uh, yeah, so like national leadership. Right, stepping in, stepping, stepping in, stepping up and saying, okay, you know, the, the, the missionary is gone, and now you know this is this is us trusting the Lord ourselves going forward with this, right. and uh, so it gives them that that opportunity. And so our goal was because uh, the Lord allowed us to. Uh, I said we merged those two churches together, so we had one church plant, and uh, and then we had a couple young men that we were training, uh, and then right before we left, there was a third young man that kind of that that joined our our team, and uh, so we had these three young men. And uh, one of them was, uh, he took over the church that, that we started. Another young man was helping another church, and the other young man was, was uh, helping in another area as well. And uh, so we came back on furlough. And while we were back on furlough, man, they, they went through a lot of persecution. Two of the, two of the uh, pastors there, they, they really went through a lot of persecution. And, uh, man, it was, it was really hard for us being in the States because— you, yeah. you, you want to be there with them when they're going through it. You know, what can you do? Sure. And uh, to see them really to trust the Lord and to uh, rely on Him uh, in the midst of the persecution uh, was, was encouraging to us. But it still, it was, it was hard nonetheless. Yeah. Now, when you, when you say persecution, um, I mean, th- that word can, to us American believers can mean quite a, quite a few different things. I mean, it could mean... People look at you funny when you pray over a meal, or in China we, we would think, well, maybe it means you're imprisoned or you're 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 killed. So, so like, what is what did that look like for them during that time? Yeah, so so pers- that persecution at that time uh, was, I guess, the worst persecution that our ministry had gone through. Um, like I said, we've we've we've. Personally, I've been in a police raid where the police shut down the service. Um, my wife was there. My, my child was there. Uh, we've been uh, had police come and you know taken the members 
to the church that we planted, the first church that we planted, uh, down to the police station. It was it was like a midweek Bible study. So there wasn't a lot of people that were in attendance, but they, they the group went down there, and uh, you know people have been questioned, have been brought in, and it started out that these these uh, pastors that we were working with, and even one of the missionaries that we were working with there, uh, that they were having trouble with the police, and the police were contacting them and somebody had reported that the missionary and one of the Chinese pastors had done these illegal things online and it was like political related and and the whole thing was just kind of made up and uh, it was really scary and so at the time you know they're asking what do we do and I said I'm not sure I don't don't know what angle they're coming from I mean we have some experience in this but this is kind of these accusations are new and so we told the, the missionary you know, get out of the country as quick as you can, uh, because they were using his full name in English, and uh, we say, you know, get out, because it seemed that maybe they were going to try to put him as a spy or something like that, and we're just, you know, when you're when you get accused by the police of doing something illegal online, it has to do with political nature, nothing to do with the. At the time, they were saying it has nothing to do with the church, and so we were thinking, man, if this has nothing to do with the church, we know that he hasn't done anything else illegal. And so this is, you know, some kind of setup uh, because, we, you know, the only legal thing that he was doing was, you know, working in an underground church. Right. And, uh, and so, we, he, so he, he was able to f- flee to the next city up, get on a plane and fly out. And so we got him out within like 24 hours. Yeah. And so he was out. He was able to actually call the police station after he's out of the country. Hey, I'm traveling overseas. You know, what do you guys need to try to get things fixed there? But they uh, they took the pastor in, and they we didn't hear from him for the longest time. And we were talking to his wife; she was at home. She didn't know what was going on. She was going to go down to the police station and try to find him, and uh, and they basically said all these kind of crazy things that were happening, and uh, they said it had nothing to do with the church, and uh, and the other pastor uh, that was also. Uh, working in another church at the time, but his name was on the lease at the, of the place we were renting there on the 25th floor. And uh, trying to remember how it all kind of uh, worked, to, all happened, you know, the series of events. Uh, I could go back in my blog and look to get the exacts, but basically uh, they were contacting these two pastors and they, they, they were meeting with them outside of the church services. And something led to us uh, me having a conversation with them and say, what do you think is going to happen? And I said, because of this, um, I think they're probably going to raid the church on Sunday. Hmm. And I said, just based on the history and the things that we know, like they're probably going to raid the church on Sunday. So I said, I'm not there, so I can't make you guys do whatever you want. If you guys want to pack up the bags and go home and not go through this persecution, you can do that. Uh, you know, obviously, I'm sitting here in the comfort of America, so I'll give you the opinion yeah. on what I would do. But this is this is in your hands. This is you guys have to trust God. Uh, you know, and I'll help you through it. Um, but this is really you guys stepping up. And so, and they they wanted to step up. They wanted to do that. They didn't want to you know turn their back on Christ because of some persecution or what the government was saying they were going to do and different things. And so I suggested to them, uh, why don't you? Move everything out of the church uh, location there on the 25th floor. And we had rented a couple apartments, tore out walls, made a big auditorium, and had different. Uh, we had multiple uh, 
apartments that we were renting. Uh, one, yeah. And like I said, we, we made two into one big auditorium and then we were renting another one for kids' classroom and different things like that. I said, just move everything out, go rent another apartment building, you know, we'll help with the finances and then just put all the church equipment in there, the microphones, the speakers, the chairs, just everything and just have the other place empty. And then I said, go uh, meet in a Chinese restaurant on uh, Sunday morning. Uh, for the service hmm. and uh, I, I mean I guess all restaurants in China are Chinese restaurants <laughs> um, <laughs> I wasn't gonna call you on that but <laughs> but so go, go, go meet at, go meet at the, the restaurant in the banquet room you know we've done that before so some of them I, I saw that before and uh, I said you guys can have a meal you have the same service just do it there and so they did that on Sunday they went and then you know the church people came they responded to that and they, they had moved all the stuff out I think it was like a Tuesday or Thursday night or something they moved everything out overnight just to make sure if there's anybody watching, because uh, generally the you know the police, uh, even though they, they there's persecution, they're still I mean they're they're human so they're lazy right they're not gonna sit there and watch it all night unless you're like a big case, and uh, so we moved out everything overnight and they put it into an apartment the place was empty they had service on Sunday, no problem for them, and the police showed up to raid the place on Sunday and it was empty, and wow. you know, nothing nothing there, so they they obviously that doesn't make them happy. Sure. Um, but they didn't. They, were, they didn't get all the names of everybody that was meeting at the church because what they do is they try to get everybody's name that they can, and then they interrogate them one on one and try to oh, find wow. somebody to break to give everybody else's information, and so they can just keep doing this and getting okay. as much information yeah. as they can. And so they might know the pastor, but if the pastor doesn't break, then they, it's a dead end. And so they they call uh, the pastor that this he wasn't actually pastor of the church at the time, but his. He was helping another church, but his name was on the lease for the place okay. we rented right. um, because we rented it when I was still training him. So they called him in. Man, they treated him really nice. He said, "Man, they you know we, we were drinking tea, we were we were talking, chewing the fat. Like, man, we we're just having an okay time. They were being really nice. They said, you know, this is illegal. We got to break the lease on this place. You guys can't rent it anymore. So you guys need to talk with the homeowner. So we met. He met the homeowner there." Uh, on the 25th floor and they broke the lease and uh, you know I don't think we got our deposit back and uh, everything seemed fine and they ended uh, the conversation and he, he told me he said man I thought we were gonna be good to go that we just got in trouble because they found out but we weren't using it the place anymore so we were okay he said but when we got done he said they put a bag over my head and took me down and put me in the back of a van Whoa. And, uh, and he said, you know, I knew it was, it was getting serious, obviously, at that point. And he said, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what they were doing. Um, and he says, they took me to a location. I didn't know where I was. And uh, he said, they eventually put me in a room. And, you know, they handcuffed me to a table. Hmm. And it was an interrogation room. He said the lights were bright and all, all these kind of things. And uh, he said he asked for a lawyer. And, uh, you know, because we... He, because of our runs running with the police before, you know, we've talked to Christian lawyers and things like that, and and he said the police officer he said hit him in the side and said you know we'll let you have a lawyer when we get done with you, and uh, mm-hmm. you know started physically abusing him and uh, you know ended wow. up handcuffing his hands up and uh, asking all these questions and they were saying you know and they they were asking questions about me. And uh, they said, we know you know this guy. And he said they would take a picture and hold it really close to his face. So here's a picture of you two together. And he said, I don't even know if it was a picture of me and you because I couldn't ever see the picture because they never actually let me see it. But they just like hold it up to my face real quick and pull it away. And, um, and uh, we said, we, we have all this information on you. We have all these documents on you guys. And we know that you guys are friends. And 
uh, all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he just didn't give them any information. And, uh, you know, I, obviously I wasn't in the country. There's nothing that he could have done. And uh, yeah. I remember telling him later, I was like, man, if you guys, have, if you get in that situation, you know, if you feel like dude, you can turn me in, like you don't have to protect me. And uh, I remember him telling me, he said, you know, it's worth me going through it if you can stay here and preach the gospel because we need it. And, uh, wow. you know, the fact that he was willing to, to, to endure some of that, that abuse uh, so that our family could stay and continue on. Um, obviously very humbling uh, for us sure and uh, they say you know we know you're a pastor we know you're part of this church and all these things that were going on and so after they get done interrogating him uh, they put him in jail and uh, mm-hmm. he, he you know he tells the story I was in the jail cell he said it was he said it was, I was just emotionally drained physically drained that he had eaten all day um, he was nervous, you know, when he went and meet with them, so he didn't eat. They didn't feed him, obviously. And he said the the, the jail cell was really cold. There was no covers, a metal bed, just froze all night. And he gets up the next day, and they finally give him something to eat, and then they put him on, gave him a room, put him on cleaning duty. And he said, you know, I didn't know if, you know, he's like, I've never been in jail before, so I don't know what was going on, but I figured if I was on cleaning duty, that's not a good sign that this is going to be a short-term thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's thinking this is going to be a long term. And uh, thankfully, because it was getting close to Chinese New Year and I just praying, God answering prayer, uh, after, uh, I think it was two or three days, they ended up releasing him. And mm. uh, they called his wife. She had to come in and pay a fine. And uh, they ended up releasing him so he could go home for, for the holiday. And, uh, you know, I think they made him sign some things and, you know, told me he couldn't do this anymore and all, all, all these kind of things. And... Uh, and I don't, I don't remember if it, was, if it was that time before the police came or if it was a time after this because he's had follow-up visits from the police and things like that. But right. at, at one of those points, uh, he told me, he said, he said, if I go in and I don't come back out, will you take care of my wife and children? Her child yeah. at the time. Will you take care of my wife and child? And, uh, you know, that was obviously very convicting um, sure. One that you know he's willing to pay that price to follow Christ, uh, but I said, yeah, I mean, we'll do whatever we can, uh, you know, to take care of your wife and, and child if you, if you don't come back and financially support them and things like that. Wow. And uh, and so that that's what he faced. And the the other uh, pastor was also taken in, interrogated, not to that same degree, um, but also threatened. Hey, if you guys don't turn information in on these missionaries and if you guys keep planning these churches or pastoring them or having illegal services then you know you're never going to be able to work in china you're going to be on the blacklist your kids are never going to be able to go to school you're not going to have health insurance you're going to you know just threaten them with you're going to have the worst life ever if you keep doing this because you're disobeying the government and um and they continued on and uh the the that same pastor that went through all of that uh, not too long ago, I guess probably just around this time last year, um, or so, or maybe a little longer, uh, called and uh, asked me and said, "Hey, uh, do you think you could help us with the rent for a second church plant?" Mm-hmm. And uh, so he had planted a church, and uh, after going through all of that, you know, was still willing to go on and try to plant another church, Amen. and uh, so excited to see that. So to connect that back to furlough, all that happened while we were on furlough. We went back 
to China and that we are excited to get back and take some of the weight off of those pastors and all they were dealing with and be an encouragement to them. And I remember getting back at the airport while one of the pastor's wife, she came and gave me the biggest hug I think I've ever had, almost knocked me over because <laughs> he was just so excited, you know, that we sure. were back and they offered some relief uh, to the, the, the pastors and, and help the churches again. And uh, we had, uh, we were there and it was just, just a few days. And the, the pastor that we had left the original church with, he was asked to come in by the police and it wasn't the... Uh, local police anymore. It was kind of the National Security Bureau, which is kind of like the FBI of China, I guess. And, um, you know, he was questioned about me. He said, we know, and they said my Chinese name. They said, we know he's back in the country and we're looking for him and we want to deport him from the country. And, uh, you know, the, the way that we interpret that is really, really two ways. One, the government knew everything about me and they were just, you know, offering me an olive branch and saying, hey, just get out of the country. We're going to make you to leave. Um, hmm. Or, uh, you know, and I kind of tend to kind of either either way that they, they didn't really know a lot about me, but there was a Judas somewhere in the ministry that was reporting information because the, the interesting thing is that we, we had a business visa. We, were, we started a business. We got approved to come in. There was no problems at the border. Uh, right. you know, there's no problem. We re- we we registered when we got into a hotel and everything and again there was there was no problems and so if there was my identity was compromised and things like that you know they could have showed up at any point because you know i had all these things but uh, the the name that i used in china and then you know the the transliteration of my name were two different names and so the name that they were using was you know different than the name that was on all my paperwork and things like that and so we see that there might have been a Judas somewhere that was telling them information, so they didn't know uh, probably all the information about us, uh, but they knew that, hey, the guy that they were after, that they were persecuting people over and they were doing different police raids, my, my Chinese name keep coming came back up, but they never could really come in contact with me. And, uh, and so probably somebody you know told them that we were back and uh, they were going to put the pressure on these Chinese pastors to figure out exactly who I was. Okay. And uh, so that really put the pressure on us to say, okay, what, what does that mean for us? You know, I went to China with one child, uh, left with five. And so I guess that's why China yeah. is so large, right? Because there's, the wa- <laughs> there's something in the water there. Um, and, uh, you know, we, so we couldn't just move around. We couldn't just rent a, a house you know, put a year's rent down and then, you know, have problems with the police in this area and then move somewhere else and things like that. And so we were praying yeah. about what does that mean for us and what does it look like if they're going to continue to put pressure uh, on these men that we've trained up until they turn us over. Hmm. And, you know, it's, could I move to another area? And, you know, we didn't, at the time, you don't know, you know, you can look now and kind of process some of this information. Okay, was it, do they have all this information on us? Do they know what my passport is? Or was it just a Judas in the ministry that didn't like us? Or somebody that was coming to maybe one of the English corners that turned us over and just turned out some of the information, but not all of it. And you don't have the answer right. to all those questions. You're working on limited information. So you're truly just seeking wisdom, seeking counsel, asking God, okay, what is the next step? Uh, but it seemed clear that they were intent to find us, even if we moved to another spot in China, because it was the National Security Bureau, we said, well, if we just move somewhere else, and then they all of a sudden they, you know, we have the same problems there. Yeah. And then uh, because we were moving to a different city, then our business visa wasn't going to work like we wanted it to. And, okay. um, and that was connected to one of the pastors. And, and so it just really, it just, there was a lot of things to consider. And uh, when we 
processing all, and it was, it was a lot to do because, again, they were threatening to deport us, and we really didn't want to be deported from the country. Sure. Um, because now we have friends who have been deported, who've tried to get back in, and they can't get back in. Mm. And, uh, and so I was thinking, man, if I, if I get deported, there's a chance I'll never get back into China. And, yeah. uh, you know, and I want to keep working here. And so after praying about it, talking with everybody, seeking counsel, we felt that God was leading us to move away from the mainland and move to the island of Taiwan. And uh, part of the reason was, one, that from Taiwan, we could make trips back into China. And so yeah. our whole goal of leaving China was so that we could get back into China, yeah. if that makes sense. Sure. And so we want to continue meeting with those pastors and uh, doing uh, Zoom calls with them and training online. But I want to be able to fly over and meet them in person and continue that life-on-life discipleship. But also living in Taiwan, that offered us, you know, they offer missionary visas there. And so I could get a missionary visa. I can, uh, my family can have a home base and we can start a church planting ministry among the Chinese in Taiwan. So same language, and uh, we can use that there. And uh, there's a great need of the gospel there. There's people yeah. uh, worshiping uh, Buddhas, and and, and uh, you know Taoism is, is is the main kind of religion there, yeah. kind of the traditional, uh, I guess Chinese religion mm-hmm. there. And so they're worshiping idols there. China's worshiping idols, and they're also a lot of atheists. And uh, so the, the, the need of the gospel in both places was great. So you can't go wrong as a gospel preacher in either of the sure. places. And uh, so we feel well, we can do both, and we'll let, then let's do that. So we felt God was leading us there. And so we moved to Taiwan and ended up starting the church plant. And uh, when we left China, and looking back now, we can see God's hand in it because the, after the month after we left, that was what, November 2019, then COVID hits right around December. It's starting to see this weird virus thing yeah. in the news and all these kind of things happening and people right. eventually start shutting down by March 2020 the rest of the world is starting to shut down even churches in the states are shutting down not having services and, you yeah. know just something that nobody's ever experienced before but because of the uh, way that Taiwan shut down early and closed off its borders you know they didn't have the outbreak like everybody else and we actually were able to start a church plant in March of 2020 Amen. while a lot of people were shutting things down. So even we see God's you know hand in that looking back now. Well, so now that you are in Taiwan and you've had ministry there for a couple of years, what's that ministry look like? And then have you been able to maintain any sort of remote ministry in mainland China? Uh, what would that be like as well? Yeah, so our, our ministry in Taiwan is similar to the ministry that we're doing in China. So our emphasis is the same, is to uh, evangelize, make disciples, and train leaders. And so we do that through church planning. And so we're going out, we're evangelizing, uh, trying to reach people with the gospel. Uh, We planted a Victory Baptist Church there in Taiwan. So that's the main church plant. We're still in the midst of that church plant right now. We're on furlough in America, but uh, when we were there in Taiwan, that was our, our main focus. And praying that God gives us young uh, Taiwanese men uh, to surrender their lives uh, so that they can be one day be pastors and pastoring churches and go out and start other churches. And maybe even go to mainland China one day and take the gospel there uh, almost in a missionary capacity. And then uh, our ministry in the mainland has been able to continue uh, online. 
And so we have uh, Zoom accounts and each of the pastors that we work with and uh, one of the young men that's in, that's in training, uh, they get on and every week we uh, do a class. We do about two hours uh, that we try to set aside and uh, try to teach them. I'm, I'm studying through Proverbs and just different things with them. And I know you've, you've been able to participate in that some and, and yeah. teach. It's uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, teach some of the classes there and just make sure that they're continuing to grow and uh, we will ask them you know, how, how did last Sunday go? And everybody kind of gives a report. And then, you right. know, usually something uh, comes up. This happened at the church or, hey, I'm dealing with this problem with this person. And uh, sometimes somebody, one of the other pastors, you know, they didn't even know they needed to ask that question. And so just listening to somebody else ask that question and getting the answer, man, that really helped me too. So now I know how to deal with this because I was kind of struggling with that as well. And so it's really a good and encouraging time, a time that we can continue to grow. And uh, really we, we continue just to study the Word of God so that they're kind of growing and challenging them and just keeping that motivation because they're each, you know, they're in different locations and they're uh, doing their own church plants. And so just don't want them to be out there and feel alone that nobody cares and uh, so we continue that training online and i would love to as soon as china opens up from their COVID restrictions to start making trips back into mainland china and to meet up with them so that we can continue to encourage them and help them uh, push the gospel forward in their areas amen and praise the lord for technology and praise the lord that there's things like zoom and other types of apps and things to kind of keep in touch and maintain you know, as much of a relationship as you can, given the circumstances, um, I'd imagine that's a tremendous blessing for all of you guys. Yeah, it, it is. A, you know, it is a little annoying that you can't be there, but this is the second best, right? So the sure. best is being there, and uh, you know, you want to do life on life discipleship with them. Uh, but when you see the Apostle Paul, when he wasn't there, what did he do? He sent letters. Right. And uh, so this is kind of the next step up from that. Hey, uh, great. And so we're not sending letters, but we are able to meet and we're able to, you know, write lessons and, and to share them uh, through the, the Internet and through Zoom and uh, the, the different apps that we stay in contact with. We're able to update or upload different resources and they can mm -hmm. access those. Uh, I can record videos and send it to them. I can upload PDFs and uh, different things and give them resources. And uh, so that is definitely a huge uh, benefit and blessing. Yeah, certainly, certainly the next best thing, not being able to be there. Um, so I guess looking forward, um, as you and your wife kind of think through where you're at in ministry, what do you kind of, I guess, see the future of your ministry look like? What would you hope uh, would happen in the years to come? Well, I mean, best case scenario is that uh, China has a change of government, I guess, and completely right. opens up and welcomes missionaries. Sure. Uh, that would be the best case scenario. Uh, but even if that doesn't happen, uh, we still want to continue pushing uh, missions uh, to the Chinese people in Taiwan and in China, and really the Chinese all around the world. God used one of the uh, young missionaries that was working with us and relocated to New York City and reaching the Chinese there. Right, uh, they said, he's yeah, been here on the podcast. Yeah, Cannon here on the podcast. And they say that New York City has the highest amount of ethnic Chinese outside of China, uh, over okay. on the side of the world. Uh, not not outside of Asia, I guess you should say. Right. And uh, and so exciting to see him there and reaching the Chinese that are that are in New York City and that are coming to New York City. Uh, so that's an exciting thing there. But we want to continue on 
producing resources. That's something that I feel that God has uh, allowed me to do and develop something I didn't know that I was going to do when I first started out. Uh, but develop those resources to help keep helping the pastors, uh, but also praying that God gives us more pastors. Uh, you know, it was uh, probably a month or two ago uh, that one of the pastors contacted me, and he told me there was a young man uh, that got saved. And I don't know if I mentioned this uh, or not, but he, he got saved when he was a freshman, and uh, he's been discipled in the church. Right. He just graduated college. Uh, he's about 23 years old, and he said, you know, he, he feels called to the ministry. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he, he could go into the workforce, but he feels like God wants him to be in the ministry. So we're helping to start train him. And uh, so yeah. it's kind of that second generation being raised up. And so really excited about that. And uh, so what the future looks like for us right now as things stand is, is returning to Taiwan, continuing in the church plant there, praying that God gives us five young men. Uh, that we can start training uh, so that we can uh, start multiple churches there in Taiwan. Uh, but also that God continues to give us men to train in China and that we will be able to start making those trips back in and uh, helping them evangelize, but also reaching out to the villages again and different things that we had uh, in place or that we were trying to put in place before we had to leave and just kind of see those uh, those dreams come back alive. Amen. Well, by way of transition, um, you actually... You just said something. I'd like for you to elaborate just a bit. Um, you you were telling me recently that that young man, 23 years old, he's uh, he's been saved for a few years now. He he wants to go into uh, a life of full time ministry. And you were sharing with me that when you first spoke with him, you had what was that? I think two questions for him. Uh, what were those questions, and what was what were his responses to those questions? So when uh, the pastor told me about this young man, you know, I, I trusted that this pastor's, you know, opinion of this young man was probably on target, uh, you know, because he, he's been working with him. He's told me all about the discipleship and things that they've been doing together. Uh, but I just said, well, man, if, he's, if he wants to join our, our past Chinese pastoral team and, uh, you know, maybe we can help him out training full time and things like that. I said, let me talk to him on the phone. Can we plan a, a Zoom call or something like that? And so we did, and I asked him about his testimony, you know, tell me how you got saved. Uh, tell me about your call to ministry. Why, why do you feel God's called you to ministry? And so he told me all of those, and everything sounded good. And then I asked him two questions, like you said. And the first question was something like this. It was, do you realize that uh, in your country, being a pastor uh, in this capacity is illegal? And he said, yes. He says, I, I understand that. And then I followed that up with, uh, do you realize and understand that if you are a pastor in China, that one day you're most likely going to be persecuted for it? And he said, yeah. yeah. He said, yeah, I understand. And I said, you, you still wow. want to do this? And he said, yeah. And so he Amen. fully understood. And uh, I told the story before uh, about one of the pastors and that he was in, he got put in jail and he got physically beat. And so this right. young man surrendered into the ministry under that man's uh, leadership, and yeah. so I'm Praise guessing you know he already knew some of those things going into this, and so he was prepared for those. But it's interesting, you know, we don't somebody candidates to be a pastor or wants to be a pastor, you we don't necessarily ask those questions sure. up front. But it was like, hey, if we're if we're going to help you, if you're going to go into this, let's just tell you, you know, this is the price up front that that could possibly happen. Right, count the cost. Um, count the cost. You know, because we don't want to do all this investment without him kind of realizing maybe this up front and just kind of felt led to ask him that. And uh, I was very encouraged by his answers. Amen. Well, 
I was asking about that to transition to, uh, you know, uh, what sort of encouragement would you have for a young man considering a life of missions in China? So someone here in America, um, they, they feel like the Lord's put China on their heart. They're not sure uh, what the next step would be. Um, and, and yet the Lord is putting that on the hearts of young men here in America and in the heart of that 23-year-old there in China. What, what would you say to someone here that would want to do that? You know, if, if you feel that God is leading you uh, to China as a missionary, then I say go after it. Uh, obviously, do what yeah. God has called you to do. And at the same time, realizing the door kind of right now is closed. Now, there's some missionaries that that are in China, and a lot of them that are there, from my understanding, are are they were there before the COVID restrictions. And, right. and then if you left, you haven't been able to get back in. And that, that's been our case. Uh, we haven't been able to take trips back in since we left. We left right before COVID hit the scene. And uh, we haven't been able to, to get back in and uh, because we haven't been able to apply for visas because they're not accepting applications. And so yep. uh, if you are uh, surrendered to go to China... Uh, there is a pathway to get there, and that pathway isn't instantly moving to China right away. Uh, what that looks like is you need to get some training. And uh, first, you need to make sure you're walking with God and that you know God and you're living a Holy Spirit-filled life. And yes. uh, you're, you're learning uh, how to uh, do the ministry here in the States. Uh, so before we send you overseas, uh, you need to be doing it here. And uh, that looks that what that looks like is you need some mentorship. You need somebody to mentor you, to train you. Uh, you also need to you know learn the Bible and go go to Bible college or get some kind of kind of training there. Uh, so you have some kind of theological training, and you need that practical training of actually serving in a local church and being connected to a local church because it's a local church that sends missionaries. And so you need to be connected right. to a local church that's going to send you out and has confidence in you and that God is with you and uh, that, that you can go. You know, so many people that just kind of maybe feel led to China and they just get disconnected from their local church and they just move over there. They don't have any backing. They don't have anybody that has confidence in them. They just kind of are out there and loners on their own. And I'm not sure that right. that's the plan uh, that, that God has for us. Uh, I see it as the local church sending missionaries, and they're they're backing that missionary, and they're they they understand that hey, this missionary is called of God, and man, we're behind him, and we're praying for him, we're supporting him, and so you you need that training, and and you know something that we focus on that is so important is learning how to disciple and then train leaders of leaders, because mm -hmm. like we said. Most likely, you're not going to be in China for the rest of your life if you're uh, right. doing bold ministry there. there there's a yeah. time limit. Yeah. And so you need to train as many leaders as you can while God has given you the open door there so that the day that you leave, they can carry on the work. Mm -hmm. Because uh, how sad is it, that, man, if we, if we spend all these years there, you spent eight, nine, ten years there, and you leave and everything falls apart because you are no longer there. And you know you don't want to yeah. be the key ingredient uh, to the ministry there. You right. want to train up those uh, Chinese young men to mm. not only start churches but lead the churches and carry the gospel forth and stand strong in that persecution. And so, you know, a lot of people maybe if you surrender to China, you don't know how to do that right away. Right. Uh, you know, and I didn't know how to do those things, and so I had to learn. And I, I worked at churches in the states, and I uh, finished my training here in the states. 
and then we started deputation and raised our support, went over and learned the language and even learned uh, how to do ministry in China. And then finally we went out on our own uh, to do that. So hopefully that maybe some encouragement. I would definitely say, man, there's still opportunity. God is still working. Uh, you know, the door might not be open right now, but when the door is open, we want to we want to have a flood of missionaries be able to go in. Yeah, you know, if the, if the door opened up and nobody was ready to go in, man, we're just wasting time. And so, in the meantime, you you can be working in New York City with the Chinese. You can be working in Taiwan with the Chinese. I mean, there's a lot of places you can do in the meantime. Uh, but but keep moving forward until God redirects you somewhere else. Right, and and, uh, and you know, tell me if if where you agree and where you might disagree with this, but. You know, the, the process to get from, say, just being a high school student or a college student to uh, being in China and beginning to do the work of evangelism, discipleship, starting a church, that's somewhat of a long process because there's training involved. Uh, there's Bible training, ministry training. There's uh, fundraising. There's learning the language and all of those things. And so... Though right now the door isn't open, it's almost like God, and, and this is how I see it at least, it's like God in His grace is giving giving an opportunity, a window to prepare so that when the door opens, the preparation's already there, the training's there. Uh, maybe uh, guys who don't speak the language yet have that time to learn the language maybe in Taiwan or, or somewhere like that. And then the door opens and then... The, the, as you would sometimes say, the pipeline can begin to, to pump in uh, with, with preachers. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that for the most part. I mean, I don't, I don't fully understand why maybe God has allowed the door to close, and maybe it was to strengthen the, the Chinese church in the sense that the missionaries aren't there propping it up, and maybe you know, it's, it's, they're going through the, sure. the process or something like that. You know, we, don't, we don't know. We know God is using it for their good, because uh, that's what God does. Uh, so we, we can be confident in that and that can comfort us uh, but at the same time we also you know want to be ready it is a long process uh, because you're going into another country just learning Chinese itself is a, is a long process but you want to be able to know how to do the ministry that you were sent there to do and sometimes when we read the Bible or read the stories it's so easy to look over the time frame in which the stories developed or the, the time frame in which they happened. Mm -hmm. uh, you even look at the Apostle Paul and then when, when he you know, was called to be an apostle and then that time frame from when he, was, he surrendered his life, he got saved, and then he's actually out doing open ministry. Even just the disciples themselves uh, in that time there with Jesus, we sometimes overlook those time frames and realize you know, it wasn't just instant. Uh, these were years uh, right. in the making. And so uh, it does take years uh, to get to that point, but it's worth it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's worth it because you're reaching people with the gospel and God is glorified. Amen. Um, yeah, because on the flip side of it, I, I feel like, you know, how, how sad would it be if right now, because China's doors are, at least for the time being closed, uh, no one starts to work that process. No one seeks out uh, training for uh, mission work in China. No one uh, sets out to learn language and culture. No one begins to take those steps. And then two years down the road, three years down the road, five years down the road, the door opens. And all of a sudden it's like, 
oh, wow, we can go to China, but we haven't even begun this years-long process. Um, and so, uh, and, and you know, I, I obviously don't claim to know uh, what the Lord is up to. Um, at, at the same time, what I do know is that the Lord, he, he loves China. He loves Chinese people. He desires that they be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And he's putting it in the hearts of people, people that are even getting in touch with us. And he's putting it on their hearts to pray about and consider about um, going to China one day. And I, I recently read Hudson Taylor said that, uh, well, not Hudson Taylor, um, Marshall Broomhall, who wrote a book about Hudson Taylor, said that Hudson Taylor believed that the God that supplied the men would supply the open doors. Um, and that really stuck with me. And, um, you know, I, I, I pray often that the door to China would reopen. And um, I can't help but think that, hey, there's people out there wanting to get in. So perhaps in time, the Lord will, will open those doors and, and let those people get, get in to preach. You know, a term that we kind of jokingly use sometimes uh, is ultra-portable disciple maker, right? That right. we want to be ultra-portable disciple makers that uh, God could pick us up at any time, any moment, place us in any location, and we're going to make disciples, uh, because yeah. we've been trained in that, and that's what we—that's what we do, and so we're we're prepared for that. And so, you, you know, for China, we will want ultra portable Chinese disciple makers. Meaning, right. you, you know, you know how to do the ministry, you know how to make disciples, but you also speak Chinese, so you're able to do it in their language. Yeah. And so, if we have those ready when the doors open, we can take these ultra portable disciple makers, put them in the country, and disciples are going to be made. Yeah. And that's really uh, kind of the goal and the idea there of that that. Pre preparing while the door may even be closed. Why would you go in that direction? Because we're waiting for that door to be open and trusting by faith that the door will be open one day. And if you study missions history, the door being closed doesn't really surprise us, right? Like it's an ebb and flow. It's There's yeah. seasons where China closes down and then China opens up like it's never opened up before, but then sure. they close back down and they open up. It's almost you can kind of, you can see it in, in, in missions history uh, when you study China, but you can also kind of see it just working there. We can say, man, man, things that we're really getting away with a lot that we people say you couldn't ever get away with. But then a couple years go by, and then they start kind of cracking down on those things and start making it harder and harder. And you just kind of you just see the slow progression of it closing down, mm -hmm. and then something happens and it starts opening back up again. And right. so uh, it's not surprising, uh, but we can't necessarily guess the time frame. Sure. Sure, absolutely. Um, and so, uh, what would be, Mark, your um, your advice, uh, your guidance to uh, someone, a young man, maybe he is in high school right now, that he can be doing right now? Like, like let's say he's in high school, and he can't he can't just pick up now and and change his location even in the States to seek out missions training yet, what are some practical things he can do uh, in his life to, to begin this preparation? Well, you, you can obviously work on your relationship with the Lord, uh, walk with the Lord, uh, learn to be a spirit-filled Christian uh, and live for God and live boldly for God uh, wherever you are, if you're in school, um, or just in your church and community, live for God. Be the, be the one that people say, man, that guy really loves God. Not because you want the, 
the, the praise of men, but because you really do. And you want people to glorify God and, and look to Him. And so that's the most important. You can also be reading biographies and you can re- be reading and researching about China. You know, you can contact uh, Austin. He, he'll, he'll recommend some books and things and, and resources. You can check out our website, uh, Vision for China, and there's resources and things that you can there. We have conferences that you can come to and, and be learning more and more about China. But also you want to be doing what you hope to do in China one day now. Now you right. might not be able to train a pastor right now. Or sure. You might not be able to plant a church, but you can evangelize a disciple. You can work on the basics. Yeah. And if you never led somebody to Christ, well, you need to start preaching the gospel to people. You need to start witnessing the people. Uh, if you're serving in your local church and uh, if your pastor would be willing, he can help you start preparing lessons and learning how to do that. Uh, go read as you read through your Bible. Uh, bring questions to your pastor and so you can learn what the Bible has to say about certain things. When you're witnessing the people, people are going to ask you questions. They're going to reject you. And that's what happens in China. You witness yeah. the people. And people ask you questions. People reject you. They There's laugh pushback. at you. There's pushback. You need yeah. to learn to deal with that now. Sure. Uh, and That's then good. disciple people. And not only just they're saved and they're coming to church, but help them to grow in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, continue working on that and do the things that you can do now that you hope to do in China one day. You know, there's nothing magical about the location. It's yeah. most likely going to be harder to do it there than it is here. Mm-hmm. Because uh, you know, here, you know, people at least the the people that you be witnessing to, they probably know you a little bit, or there's some of your friends, or there's some open doors, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a place that you can start. Uh, but when you move there, you're in a new culture, and it's in a new language, and people that you don't know, and you're a stranger, and all of these things. And so, start where God has you, and work your way towards there. But man, it was my prayer request: God use me here before I ever go there. You know, if you're sending God, if you want me to go all the way to the other side of the world, you know, use my life now so that I know that you're going to use me there. Yeah. Great. Um, All right. Well, then um, another scenario would be you've got someone, maybe they're they've graduated high school or they're they're about to finish up maybe Bible college somewhere and they're wanting to take next steps towards China. But they're like, I don't know where to begin. I don't know uh, what to do or, or what my next step should be. What would be practical next steps for someone there in that position? And say again, so what was that? Yeah, they're they're finishing up maybe Bible college, so they okay. have maybe more of the Bible training. They might even have practical experience from a local church, their their own church, or maybe a church there around their Bible college, something like that. Um, so they have those things, but they're like, okay, well, but there there's China, and there seems to be this gap between here and there, and I don't know where the path is. Right, right. Yeah, you know, you can get in contact with us, and we'd love to maybe walk you through, because I think at that stage, a lot of people, uh, their stories are different, you know, their experiences are different, and if you've never been to China, then maybe that next step would be a six-month internship on the field, and say, okay, I feel God's maybe calling me to China or calling me to Taiwan, well, you know, come spend six months with one of our missionaries. Um, come spend six months Man. with us and uh, start learning a little bit of the Chinese language and, and see if, if, if this is really what you want to do. Um, 
maybe you know for for us something i would recommend um is the, is the training center that that we work with and coming and getting a year's internship there and so you're getting yeah. the practical missions training uh so that Again, when you get on the field, you know how to learn a language, you know how to train men, you know how to disciple, and you might have all the theological um, understandings, you know, under your belt. But you need some of that practical things, or maybe you just need the mission side of things. You got the Bible side, uh, but you need to also learn the practical ways of missions. And so the training center we work with would uh, be able to help with that. Uh, and then, you know, you would do deputation. If you were uh, in our crowd, you need to raise support to go. If you want to do this full time yeah. and not have to work as an English teacher or, or uh, some other job, uh, you can raise your support so that you can go and you can be doing this type of ministry uh, in China or Taiwan full time. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And if you have any questions about that, please reach out to us. Um, uh, again, info at visionforchina.org. Um, you can find us on social media, shoot us a message there, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, we would love to help out any way that we can. If, uh, Mark, I guess we're going to start to wrap up here. Maybe there's somebody listening in. They're just interested in, in you, your family, your ministry. What would be a good way to, to learn a bit more about that? Is there maybe a website or something that they could they could look into? Yeah, like you said, somebody can just reach out at info at visionforchina.org uh, if they want to do on email. And, uh, you know, that, that our team uses that email. So if you want to reach out to anybody on our team, you can go there. Um, my personal website is inhisjoyfulservice.com. So that's inhisjoyfulservice.com. Uh, that's my website. It is password protected. Uh, if you go there, there'll be a link you can click and request the password. Uh, and then you'll be able to have access to uh, different resources we have, different sermons and things like that. Find out more about uh, our ministry. And we kind of we password protect that just so we can try to be more open with people that want the resources and make them available, but so they're not all they don't just show up in Google and things like that. And so you can go there and you can click uh, and you know say, hey, I heard this on the podcast, and here's who I am. Uh, you know, uh, can we have the password to, to access this? I want to learn about your family and ministry and things like that. And and uh, love to connect that way. Okay, great. Um, well, I guess two more things, and we'll kind of wrap them into one thing. Um, just final thoughts in general, and then also if you could just give, I, I don't know, just one final plea for people to consider uh, being a missionary to the Chinese. Um, so final thoughts, and then a plea for missions to the Chinese. Well, one, thank you uh, for listening to me ramble about China and, what, <laughs> and uh, uh, all about the ministry and our family and, and what God has done and just all glory to Him for what He's done. Amen. And uh, as we finish the podcast uh, and you're thinking about China, you know, the one thing that captures most people's heart about China is the largest country in the world. You know, 1.3, 1.4 billion souls. Yeah. And when you put that in perspective and you look at America and you see how gospel-saturated America is, and then China's, you know, five Americas. Right. And that, you know, four of those don't have the gospel. Uh, four of those are, are full of lost people. You know, we have the yeah. same size in the population and things like that if you look at the statistics. And there's just such a great need. Uh, and there has been a lot of missionaries in the past that's gone to China. Uh, there's been persecution. Uh, there's there's been revival, but there still is a great need of the gospel there. Uh, the current generation is being taught atheism. The old generation was taught uh, Buddhism or Taoism, and you know so you you have this 
generational gap of people worshiping as many gods as as they needed to now people worshiping no god at all and there's there's nothing there and both sides are wrong both sides don't have the truth just because they went from one extreme to the other extreme uh they're 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 no better they're still dying and going to hell and if they die without christ and they die in their sins they're going to end up in the fire and that ought to break our hearts because Christ has done everything that needs to be done for them to re- be redeemed unto God. They just need to hear. And so who will go and who will tell them? Well, this concludes today's episode of the A Thousand Lives broadcast. Thank you all for listening in and letting others know that Jesus is worthy of being made much of in China. And don't forget, register for Underground Jiaohui Conference 2022, China's Multitudes. We hope that you can make it and learn more about how you can plug in to the awesome task of making Christ's majesty known among China's multitudes. Remember, for conference details and registration, head on over to visionforchina.org underground. That's visionforchina.org underground. We look forward to seeing you there. Thank you again for listening to the A Thousand Lives broadcast. This has been Austin, your host and missionary with the Vision for China team. For information about our Vision for China team and how to take the first step on your path to making Jesus famous in China, head on over to visionforchina.org. Or you can email us at info at visionforchina.org. There you're going to find a slew of resources on the website to aid you in both sharing the gospel with Chinese friends as well as to assess how you can better aim your life at making Jesus known in China, whether that be by praying, sending, or even going as a missionary. Well, until next time, 再见!